Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Meg Epstein. She's 35 years old and the biggest independent female CEO of a real estate development company in the United States. I'm going to repeat that. She's 35 years old and is the biggest independent female CEO. Her company has reached $1 billion under development and she founded the company at 28. Meg's background is in a complicated, high-end, $20 million plus residential construction projects in places like Napa and Beverly Hills, but she didn't want to spend her career building houses for celebrities. She took her development experience and applied it to building condominium projects that the Southeast was desperately lacking at the time. Welcome to the podcast, Meg. Thank you for having me. So... You started this company at 28. Prior to that, what were you doing? I was doing residential construction for high-end homes in California. Okay. And that was what you went to college for or had always wanted to do? No, I always wanted to be a developer, but I graduated in 2008. And so really the only avenue into development was um, construction management but it was a really good background to, for what I do now because I learned a lot about project management and, you know, how to build things. So um, I did that for very high-end homes in Los Angeles and San Francisco area and um, worked with a lot of homeowners, which was, <laughs> was probably the least. There's a lot of very dynamic personalities, but um, I did learn a lot about building and construction that way. So when you um, were working for someone else, were there holes that you saw that said, okay, you know, what made you want to go out on your own? And also what gave you the confidence to go out on your own? You know, I just never really, I think I had one real job, which was working for a general contractor in LA that was building these celebrity homes. And I always just looked, I was always trying to optimize what they were doing and be more efficient and be more tech savvy about how to approach construction. And I just kind of naturally sort of felt like I wanted to do my own thing. Um, And then I went to go work. When I moved to San Francisco, I went to go work for another firm and they ended up firing me, I think just because they weren't, you know, I was in hyper growth mode and they were very comfortable. And so that was sort of a good point for me to you know, not go and take another job, but start out on my own. So that was the catalyst was I got fired. (laughs) I got fired too. That was my catalyst. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There you go. So you get fired. Your immediate thought is I'm going to start my own business. I'm not too familiar with the construction industry, but I know from other industries that, you know, I'm assuming that there are a lot less women in construction and having their own companies than men. Yes, that's correct. So how did you start and what did you run into as you began to knock on doors? Like, how does that process even work? Well, I originally started in California doing homes, which was similar to my background. And I met a guy that was trying to do the same thing. And, um, you know, I partnered with him on a few home renovations, essentially, and home building. And that kind of gave me a good sense. That's how I set up my first LLC and, you know, had my own little QuickBooks account and, and really started my, you know, the first company. Um, but when I moved to Nashville is when I really saw the opportunity in commercial um, development. And so I took a series of courses on commercial real estate investment. And that kind of gave me a good framework to really understand it. And then, you know, the thing about 
development is it's really project centric. And so it's not really about having to have a whole company. You really just need a project. And I started one project and then built the company around that one project um, and just kind of started adding team members based on what I needed. But it wasn't, you know, when I, when I was first starting, when I was 27 or 28, it wasn't, I just wanted to do a deal. And I didn't, wasn't thinking with having, you know, 20 employees and getting to a billion at that time, but I, but I, um, just wanted to do one project, which was a river, a riverfront project in Nashville, cause there was just nothing on the river. And I just saw a, a kind of hole in the market and decided, okay, I'm going to build a riverfront project. But in order to do that, you're convincing people to, to go with you, to give you money to build it. How did you, how did you get that bid? How did you get them to say, yes, we trust her. You know, this is, <laughs> she just started, you know, how, I guess, what were your tips? My tips in the beginning were partnering with the right people. Obviously, I've moved away and I have my own company now. But in the beginning, I leveraged other people's um, experience and track record to get my first deal funded. So the person that owned the land had done development in the past. And I was able to leverage his track record to get people to trust me with the capital to build it. And then what it ended up happening was I ended up taking over the project from him because it didn't, you know, he didn't end up having the experience that he said. But originally, the idea was, was he was going to develop it and I was going to help raise the capital and be a part of it. But that was kind of how I um, first started. And so leveraging relationships, you know, leveraging other people's track records, finding the right partners is something I would recommend for any entrepreneur. Um especially in real estate where you are heavily focused on, you know, there's so many, it's so complicated that you really need someone that knows what they're doing. Totally. So he, he basically, he got the job, he couldn't be up to it. And you, you slid in and said, I got this and then succeeded. Yeah. I really didn't have a choice at that point because I had already invested money. (laughs) So I was, you know, I had to kind of jump in and figure it out. And I had enough experience in building and construction to understand the basics of, hiring a general contractor and, but I just kind of figured it out as I went, you know, a little bit like I've definitely read your story. You know, you, you don't, you don't have it all figured out when you start, but you, if you're resourceful and scrappy enough, you can kind of navigate through the first one. Now I have a whole team that's very sophisticated and we do it the right way, but that was the first deal. So you get the first deal and then what happens? How does it grow from there? So I got the first deal and I had to redesign it. I met a really great architect builder from California, actually. And that was something very unique in Nashville at the time. Now there's a bunch of people that have moved from California and New York here. But when I was here in 2016, I was kind of one of the first out-of-towners doing this. And so I brought in an architect or I met an architect here that was an architect builder. And we redesigned the building um, to optimize it for this market. And, um, that was very integral to the success of the, the deal. And then, um, as I was doing that, I, I came across other deals and was able to get those funded. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, cold calling and reaching out to investors to try to get them interested in Nashville. And it was kind of on investors radar at that time, but I ended up convincing a private equity fund to fund my second deal and it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, I just kept finding more projects and getting them funded and um, brought on team members as needs. 
the needs of the company expanded and I could afford it. Um, but it was a lot of bootstrapping and, you know, <laughs> it, was a, it was a crazy beginning couple years for sure. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, there's obviously something with tech companies where you're investing in people and engineers, but you're not investing in physical goods. So when you have, you know, now a billion dollar plus construction company, you're you're investing in concrete and wood and steel. Does that ever scare you or is that where you feel safest? It scares me now in this uh, market with the inflation and the supply constrained issues because you know, it's very risky being a developer when you're going, you know, now I'm looking at a project, it's a $100 million project. It's not like my first project that was a $15 million project, you know. And if the construction cost of steel goes up, then <laughs> that's a, you know, it can be, it can move the needle by 10, 20%. Um, so that that is scary. And it's something that we monitor very closely and, and, and look a lot at the market and stay on top of construction pricing and that type of thing. But um, generally, we I apply just a lot of data analysis and due diligence in the projects and pass on a lot that is overpriced that I see other people um, taking. So you just kind of have to remain very unemotional about the investment and make sure the numbers are, are solid. So I'm sure with the pandemic hitting too, um, supply chain has been hard. Has that affected the business? And was, was there ever a point where it was really scary? Yeah. I mean, there's always, there's been points in every deal. It's so complicated to take a piece of land and, you know, design a building, build it and get it completed and then sell it. I mean, it takes that whole process can take three to four years. And in that there's, very complicated aspects of legal and construction and, you know, the sales team and many parties that go into that. So the projects, I mean, especially in the beginning when I didn't have a super sophisticated team and I didn't have, you know, the correct process down, there were times, I mean, I thought the first project I spoke to you about on the river, I mean, I thought I was going to lose, lose that deal because I couldn't get it. I couldn't get someone to invest in it. And I had to, really think outside the box and completely redesign it, which was heartbreaking because I had spent a million dollars on the plans, but they just didn't work. It was just too expensive for what I could sell the end product for or what I could get the market to believe I could sell the end product for. So I had to, you know, really think outside the box, scrap the plans, start over. Um, meanwhile, I have, you know, the loans ticking away and I have investors angry that, it, you know, it hasn't started yet and what's happening. And, and, and so it ended up being very successful in the end because we had to persevere through, but that took many years and a lot of heartache for sure. Um, and now in the larger projects, I mean, there's always things that come up and it's really about how you navigate those things and, and can push through where, you know, a lot of people aren't successful because you just, it takes a ton of perseverance for sure. I think perseverance in, in not just in your industry, but in any industry is like the number one. It's hard to swallow, but it's the number one ingredient in success for sure.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's fast forward. You have your project. It's a success. You've weathered COVID. You're now managing a billion dollars plus in projects and real estate. What is a day like for you? And how do you stay calm? Two questions. <laughs> a day is very, very packed. So I always, um, I always, I mention this sometimes on social media and stuff because I just, I don't, you know, I hear people say they're really busy and I, <laughs> and everybody's really busy, you know, but I, I, I'm all for squeezing every inch of productivity you can out of your hours. Right. So, um, I really force myself to only um, work until one or one or so in the afternoon and one to three in the afternoon each day. Um, and then I work on a nonprofit in the afternoon. But um, in the mornings, I, you know, I stay on top of my email and I answer all of the the emails and calls that I get. I'm very good about that. I do that every morning. I start the day out doing my goals for that day and then the month, and then the year, and then bigger term goals. So I usually take about five minutes and sort of center myself and um, lay out my goals. And then I make sure I'm starting my day on the offense. So getting rid of any balls in my court that's in my email, anything I can, you know, push forward. And then I get to my office, and it's usually a lot of forward-facing meetings with my team or meetings with investors or contractors, basically very forward facing meetings, but it's ran very, very tight. So, you know, I go from one thing to the next and it's very tightly scheduled, but I, I think that, you know, a lot of people, so I'm all for time compartmentalization. And then, um, you know, I go to bed really early and I wake up really early and, um, it's very full and busy, but it's productive. And I think it, it's, keeps morale really high. For sure. Um, and have you had to manage your team on a remote basis or is, is there like a central core team that now you work with daily? So now we're back in the office. Um, but yeah, there was a year there where we were mainly remote. Um, I think out of, in comparison, because I'm, you know, naturally millennial and, and, um, younger than a lot of people that do real estate development or real estate development firms. We've leaned a lot on software like Asana and Slack, uh, you know, project management software. And so we're all paperless. Um, obviously, Zoom, we, we did a lot remotely during the pandemic. Um, and frankly, we grow, we grew tremendously during the pandemic because 
Nashville became even more of, I mean, there were already people um, moving here in droves, but the pandemic was sort of a catalyst for more investment, more people coming from primary markets, driving up costs. Um, Amazon made their announcement. They were moving a headquarters here before that, but then Oracle followed during the pandemic. So it, it was really a year of hyper growth for us in that sense. So we had to do all of our hiring and, you know, I'm, we're not even, we're working out of a WeWork right now while the renovation of our new office is happening. And I can't really physically hire that many more people because we just don't have the space. But um, generally I'd say we, we operate pretty efficiently that way and and tend to be, um, you know, streamlined for sure. So when you said you stop at three every day, how, how do you do that? (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, I just, it forces you, I think it really forces me to um, be efficient and not get too involved and really let my executives be executives. You know, if I have an amazing team and I've, I have a great um, C-suite, um, C- COO, CFO, and chief development officer. And they, you know, it, it, if I am in the office any longer, I just get asked more questions. And if I'm not there, they figure it out. So you know, it's just a a discipline point that really keeps me balanced as you, as you asked before. And I think it keeps the company going in the right direction and keeps us scalable because the reality is, is I can't make all of these decisions and I have to build a team that can, and they become more capable faster that way. I think that's incredible. Uh, and you're 100% right. If you're in the office more, they'll ask you more questions. So I'm definitely going to take that to heart. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you're not there, like somehow it gets done. And, you know, if there's a massive problem, of course I get called. But it, there, it's honestly been pretty smooth considering how much development we've gotten done. I mean, there's always, you know, problems, but they people work through them if you hire the right people. And we do a very, very... Um, extensive hiring process now to where, you know, we're very picky about who comes on the team for their sake as well, because they need to be a certain level of ability and intelligence and culture and all these things. So we do spend a lot of time doing that. And I find if you have the right people that that's possible. If you don't, then it then it doesn't work and you do end up kind of overwhelmed as a CEO. Yep. 100% agreed. What would you say was a moment, and it could be recent uh, with the pandemic and supply chain, or when you were just starting out, you know, where you, it wasn't going well, it wasn't going smooth. And what did you do to overcome it? You know, when that first project happened, the original partner that I mentioned, um, I ended up buying the project from him, but I I was having a very hard time getting the funding. And he... um, subpoenaed me like he was going to sue me in the end after he had not performed on the deal. But, you know, I said, I'm going to take this over. I'm going to take this over. But I was still figuring it out. And I really was, I mean, I really had no experience in development. I, I didn't know, you know, I had no track record. I had no capital. I wasn't making any money. I mean, it was a, it was definitely rock bottom. And then you know, I'm getting subpoenaed because he wants to sue me. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I really just, I mean, took 
definitely some personal time, you know, and, and space and kind of got out of that, out of the environment. I definitely wasn't sleeping or, you know, and I kind of got out of the environment. And I was just like, okay, you know, remain calm. What are my options here? And I really thought through them. And I, that is when I decided to put together a, a it formally came later, but leaning on mentors and a board, basically, but really thinking, okay, who has the ability to weigh in on this and get me out of it? And at that time, it was my, um, the architect builder, you know, we spent time just sort of getting out of the environment that was super stressful and just going, okay, how can we problem solve this? And what is the way out of this? And it's something that I continue to do if I'm starting. And that's another reason why I don't stay in the office all day is because I don't want to get bogged down in the minutia of, of all of the problems because you have to, you know, stay exterior to it and look at the big picture. And so we basically just put together a plan to get out of it. And I was able to execute on it like in the nick of time. So there was definitely luck there and a lot of things. But I think, you know, remaining centered and calm, like freaking out and becoming emotional or <laughs> all the things that are naturally, um, would naturally come in a situation like this, you know, just taking a step back and being able to look at the facts and navigate a solution has been, you know, how I've gotten out of a lot of a lot of those, those things, but it was really, I mean, that was probably the worst time in my life. You know, I mean, I was, I was in debt. I was just in over my head and, you know, I had to push through it. Yep. That's the only option, right? The way out is the way through. Right. Exactly. So you talk about the why, your why, and how that's an important part of your success. Do you mind going into that? Sure. I mean, I, I think in the end, um, you know, in, in the beginning, it was more just about survival and, and you know, <laughs> being able to have a career that made money that I enjoyed. Um, but as I've grown and become more successful and placed a few, you know, big successful projects on the board, I think you get your basic necessities. And I, and I observed this a lot when I was doing at a very young age, being exposed to the inner working lifestyles of ultra rich people, billionaires, right? I'm in their homes. I see how they live, how they're interacting with their kids, their spouses, living separately on the opposite ends of the house, but they have all of this money, right? And so I knew very early on that money alone, you know, it honestly seemed to have an, somewhat of an inverse effect where you get to a certain point where your basic necessities are met and then it like almost made people miserable, you know, because all those all those clients that we had in the beginning, just, you know, famous people and crazy personalities, but just really unhappy because I, you know, I was in their homes every day. Right. Um, and I saw how they lived. And and so I was I've always been cognizant of that and I've always, you know, got, once I got to a certain point where, okay, we can cash flow, I can hire people. I'm not on the verge of, you know, constantly going into the red. I, I want to, I want to create an impact on my community and help people and just create a, a game that is, that is fun for my team members to play that, that positively affects Nashville and creates healthy lifestyles for people gives people modern, you know, modern environments to live and work in that, that creates a 
environment where they can be productive and, and happy and not, you know, in an aesthetic place, essentially. So I think that those bigger purposes of helping people, and I do spend a lot of time, you know, human rights, philanthropy and things like that, that, that is my why after I got to a certain point, which, you know, was thankfully just a few years in where, okay, I have the basic bases covered. I can really think about what I want my company to be and how, you know, we want to treat people well. We work with, we work with a lot of people, a lot of vendors and um, how we want to interact with the community and create a built environment that is a lot more concerted and not just, uh, you know, I'm not just trying to build a 300 unit multifamily building and pop out a return. I'm trying to really shape the communities that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I also read in some of the notes when I was doing my research that you talk about how important and key it is to establish, you know, guiding business principles, uh, you know, the things that you stand for as a company and as someone who did it in reverse, because I kind of was just like, Oh, you, great. You can help. Okay. Next, you know, uh, mm-hmm. sort of how, how do you tell companies to do this the right way? Cause now I talk about it. I say, you know, your, your pillars, what you stand for, what you believe in has to be so central to everything you do in your messaging. Don't start a business without it. I'd rather you work on that than your business plan and mm-hmm. your five-year projections, like figure out what you care about and how you're going to get there. And so what do you say? Like, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think it's very important. I mean, we, even in our job postings, we put what our core values are because you want to attract those same people. And it's not, you know, what we do is not, I mean, it's very sexy when you think of ground up development and real estate right now and being a developer, but, you know, it's long hours. There's a lot of work that goes into it. It takes an incredible amount of talent and intelligence. And, you know, for that person's sake as well, it's, you want, you want people that are, the, you know, that that jive with the rest of your team and your culture. And so um, we do spend a lot of time on that. We, we put it, you know, the candidates can see it when they apply. But then once we're on board, um, we do a yearly retreat and we have um, we have some administration tools that we use that really lay out our goals, our purposes for those goals, you know, how we act and, you know, certain policy we put in the company so that we can achieve those goals. And then we have plans that we work towards and check in on a quarterly basis um, so that people can see what they're doing is contributing to the overall goal, right? So last year it was to get to a billion and we would constantly track that and, you know, people can see how the actions that they're taking and they're coming to work every day are contributing to that overall goal. Um, so we do spend a lot of time on that. Um, there's an onboarding process, but we do do a check-in and everybody, you know, we have my leadership team meets every two weeks and, and we basically check in on all of those things. But yeah, it's, it's very important to define for any company for sure. Um, and in the beginning, yeah, it was just, <laughs> I didn't have it all perfectly worked out, but usually at the end of every year in between Christmas and New Year's, I, I sit and I look at you know, we, I hone in on those and I look at the, the goals for the year and, and, and kind of make sure everything's all aligned and share that with the company. I think that's great and so important to do. And I think that I've seen companies and ourselves included where we're not bringing along the team for the ride. It's just like, oh yeah, 
this is where the three of us know we're going, mm-hmm. but you're not bringing everyone down to the receptionist. Like, here's where we're going. And it makes such a difference when everyone is on the same page, no matter what their role is within the, in the company. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, um, one thing we do is everybody's vested in the back end of the project. So if we have a successful project, then everybody, including, you know, my assistant, the accountant, everybody gets a, a portion of the back end. If the person was very integral in that deal, then they get a bigger portion, you know, it's sort of relative to the role, but everybody's vested in the back end because that's ultimately what we're doing. We're delivering successful projects. And if it doesn't make money, then obviously <laughs> they don't get anything, right? Yeah, uh, We haven't had that happen, but that's a way we sort of keep everybody vested and aligned with the goals as well. I love it. So what is, um, you might've already said you answered the question, but I always like to check and ask the last two questions on my podcast is, is there a piece of advice you'd like to share that either was hard won or given to you that you think uh, would be great to pass on? That's not real estate centric, right? <laughs> oh, it could be anything. I mean, yeah, I guess not yeah. real estate centric. Yeah, I mean, I. It sounds a little trite, but I've, I've even still check myself not thinking big enough. And I know you're probably laughing, and people go, "Oh my gosh, you've grown in hyper growth," but I've always had that ability. And I look at other amazing entrepreneurs, um, you know, that we all know and read books about. And I've read, I read a lot. I read a lot. Um, usually, you know, successful people, real estate people, but, um, business books. And, and I think just not, you know, if I could say or impart anything to any entrepreneur, it's just really thinking big enough and putting out the, crazy, audacious goal um, and working towards that. Because I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all the problems that come along with entrepreneurship, but really recentering yourself and and being having that ability to think big enough to like want to change the world or want to change your space or, you know, um, is really key. Even if you don't get there, at least you have that ability to think big enough. That's something that I've just sort of learned over the years. And when I'm not doing that, we're, we're, I'm definitely not as successful and I don't get the big pro, you know, I don't grow as much as I want to. Um, so I know that's a little vague and maybe trite, but that's what I think of is, is thinking big enough. Um, and then, you know, on the same front, I think it's really about your team and making sure like you can't build a company based on, I mean, you can, you can build a company around you or, you know, you as an entrepreneur, but I think really surrounding yourself with the right people is super key. And um, that's why we go through so much, you know, when we hire now. Uh, but I think having having the team, and I also have an amazing board that I've appointed um, that are, you know, decades more experience beyond me that I check in with every month and, and sort of guide me. But, but those things have been really integral. Um, the finding the right team and having the right mentors to kind of guide and get there, especially, I mean, in, in an industry like real estate, it's been done. It's not something, you know, that's, I have my own take on it, but it's not a brand new invention, for example. When you say you have your take on it, but it's not a brand new invention, you're referring I thought sorry, I thought you oh, had a comma. Real... I thought you had a comma in that statement. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I meant 
I have my own take on how I do real estate, but you know, the people on my board have been doing it for 30, 40 years, each of them. So they can, they, there's mistakes that they have made that I'm, I don't have to make because they, they're there to kind of guide me. Right. And I can call them if I end up in a pinch and ask them what they do to do. And they've definitely been through it. There's never been a situation I brought them where they're like, Oh, that's completely unique to you. You're trying to close on a piece of property and you don't have your investor or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, we never had a board and I always wondered why, and I regret it. So, uh, I think there's a lot of mistakes we wouldn't have made had we had a board. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like for people listening that are, you know, have two or three people in their company. It can be very informal. Like in the beginning, I I mean, I don't even pay my board now. They really are just, they, they get back end profit of my deals, but they don't make anything, you know, I'm not paying some hefty board fee or it's not some, you know, board meeting minutes, formalized process. It's basically, Hey, I have this group of rock stars that have all made it in their careers and they're super excited to be a part of something as fast as growing as my development company and, you know, a female entrepreneur in, in real estate. And so they're just excited as I am about the market and my company and, um, they get vested interest in each deal, of course, but you know, they, they worked for a long time and you can, you can put together a board without it costing anything is, is my point. You can give them back end and whatever your venture is and, and get people on board that believe in you. And those are the people that are the right ones to, to be on your team. Right. Um, so that, that is something that even if you're a team of yourself and you're starting something, I would recommend putting together an informal board, um, and just basically saying, Hey, I'll give you a piece of what I'm building, but I, but I need your guidance along the way. Yeah. And I think, I think there's so many things that, that a board can provide that while you might be giving up some equity, the value and the acceleration you can experience just from what I'm, just from what I've learned with other founders, um, can be, you know, double the speed, triple the speed because you're avoiding all the, you know, potholes. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So my last question for you is what is one thing we'd be surprised to know about you? Um, <laughs> I put a lot of it out there. The My social media girl is pretty insistent on <laughs> documenting a lot. Um, I'm very sedentary, <laughs> actually. <laughs> People think I'm hyperactive and I am, but I'm, I'm really, um, I don't like working out or doing, I mean, I do, I make myself, but um, I actually really love just sort of relaxing and <laughs> uh, people are always surprised to find that out about me. Um, I'm also a pilot, which I don't get to do enough, but um, I'm pretty adventurous in that sense. I have one last question for you. Do you feel that now, you know, you've transformed your company, you know, again, a billion dollars plus, has that changed how people view you? Um, again, I, I'll hearken back to the pretty woman moment, um, you know, being a woman in real estate and, and the perception of you now versus when you started. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the South, right? So every, you know, I still go to dinner parties and I'm with my husband and they just assume that he's, you know, that I, I'm working interior design and he runs a real estate company. So, I mean, that's annoying, but I'm not going to walk around with a chip on my shoulder because of that. Um, 
but no, I think now, you know, Nashville is a pretty small place. I do feel very respected in the market, but I tend not to focus on that very much just because I think that, I mean, I am all for, you know, supporting other women entrepreneurs and making a statement, but our projects really speak for themselves. We've, we've had some pretty big successes because of our approach to, you know, designing to the people coming from the, the coasts and our returns are, have been extremely um, optimal compared to other real estate investments. And so I really try to, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick, I guess. <laughs> um, and I do feel like people have responded really well to that and we've earned the respect in the market because of, because of the work the team has done. Awesome. Well, where can people find out more about your projects? Follow you on Instagram if you want. Sure. Yeah. My um, company Instagram is CA South Development and we're on, I'm on LinkedIn, Meg Epstein. We, we try to post every, you know, week or so to just keep people updated on what we're looking at and, you know, market trends and projects. So I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.